Welcome to Cinema Puradiso, the good, bad, and ugly movie podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, PJ Bayo, and uh, in the studio with us today is stand-up comedian and indie filmmaker, David Cronmiller. Hello, hello, hello. How's it going, David? It's going good. It's going good. Surviving, getting through it, making making people laugh, making movies. Cool. How about you? Things going good? Yeah, so far. <laughs> so far, Excellent. so good. <laughs> so, um... Uh, what do you got going on right now? Well, I just uh, premiered. We had the world premiere of my feature film, Boris and the Bomb, uh, now two weeks ago at the Valley Film Festival uh, here in North Hollywood, California. Uh, and uh, right now we're sort of recovering from that. And before that, I was uh, at the Burbank Comedy Festival where you and I performed together. Right. A number of times in a van. Yes. Uh, not that far <laughs> from a river, which tells you where our careers are going. Uh, no, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the comedy, the festival was a lot of fun. It was a lot. It was hard though because I had I had three festivals, or two festivals at a con, sort of right next to each other. Because we had the the Bourbon Comedy Festival, which was awesome to be a part of, and that was a full full week. You know that was there's all like all these panels and things you're going to. Right. And then um, the Friday of that festival, while we were in the middle of it, I got word that we had gotten accepted to the Valley Film Festival, uh, which had been sort of a delayed. They had pushed back the the you know the announcement by like a couple weeks so we were on edge going like did we get in did we not um and then that friday i was at i was at flappers and um and waiting for one of the panels to start uh no it was the morning i went i was uh, performing at uh barney's beanery uh at their open mic okay uh and uh and then i got the email that said that we had gotten in to the valley film festival which was really great i got to share that with uh, amanda cohen who was running that mic uh and then um and then that next weekend i think it was that next weekend we only had about two weeks until the festival started, or between the festivals, only a couple weeks, uh, and I had to go up to Bakersfield to promote Boris and the Bomb, because uh, one of our actresses, uh, uh, Ren, uh, Ren Michelle Laranda, um, <clears throat> for some, you know, had, had gotten in with this, uh, uh, you would have loved it, um, uh, with the Bakersfield, Bakersfield Collectors Convention, and it's a toy convention, uh, and it's a lot of old collectible toys, like they had a, they had a thing filled with G.I. Joe stuff. Um, a lot of old stuff. A lot of horror film actors were there, uh, and she was there because she had been part of a film called Night Mistress, that came out last year or in the past year, like a, a sort of a, a horror film, independent horror film, uh, where she played the Night Mistress, um, and uh, so she had gotten a booth promoting herself. Mm -hmm. and she was like, "Hey, you know, they might. I think they would want you too if if you want." Um, and I, I you know, emailed the, and called the the coordinator, and he's like, "Oh yeah, absolutely." And we got we got in for free. It was great. We didn't have to pay a, a booth fee or any of that stuff. And we had this you know booth set up at the beginning of the thing, but it was just like that festival, and then the collectors con, hawking Boris and the bomb, and telling people, "Hey, yeah, we're premiering. No, you can't see it yet, but thank you. And here's our trailer, mm -hmm. and here's who's in it, and all these people." Um, and then we had the Valley Film Festival start, which was a nine day film festival uh, that was amazing. Uh, Tracy Adlai uh, puts that on. Uh, she's the coordinator for it, and she did a great job. It was an amazing job. Uh, that was cool. That first day at the Valley Film Festival, we had uh, we got a chance to because they, they sort of started it slowly, but we had the um, the events at the festival. Not the, the screenings were at the Limley in Noho in North Hollywood, but the the um, the, uh, the the festival itself, where everybody hang out and hung out and drank and talked and mingled and had panels was at a place called the Alley Studios, uh, which is on Lancashire in North Hollywood. And uh, you know the song Hotel California? Yeah. Yeah, this is what that place, that, that song's about this place. Oh, okay. Um, it's this old recording studio uh, in North Hollywood where, like, Tom Petty and um, frickin' Frank Sinatra and Bonnie Raitt and uh, you name it, people, they've, someone, Paul McCartney, have recorded there. Uh, and it's apparently haunted. Like the we, we found out like oh it was in an episode of uh, what is it one of these on the Travel Channel one of the haunted uh, uh, shows uh, I went my wife and I started watching it um, and uh, you know we're, it was like maybe our second time second day there we started watching it and it was just it was a little too freaky it was like and then someone died down the stairs they had bad luck forever and I was like well I'm not watching that I'm not gonna sit in this uh, this uh, the studio for the next week you know uh, thinking about ghosts although I did. Um, but it was a great place, but exhausting. It was back to back to back to back, uh, but the but the premiere went really well. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, terrifying to see the film up on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, get a good reaction from the crowd. Uh, yeah, you know, it was it was nice. It's uh, it, it, we've screened it now twice, 
uh, or three times really for audiences. <clears throat> One time was a small, just a few people, um, where we rented a big screen in our backyard and projected it, and that was kind of fun uh, for some of the cast members who had missed it. But we did our um, cast and crew screening at Flappers uh, back in March, um, and I did that for a couple of reasons. One was I wanted to have a cast and crew screening, and cause mm-hmm. at, at that point we weren't in any festivals. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how else, you know, when else we're going to get to see this. Uh, and it seemed fitting, and you've seen the film now, uh, to uh, to have uh, the cast and crew screening at a comedy club, considering there's a comedy club in, in the film right. that has a pretty significant uh, 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 part of the filmmaking, of the, of the story. Um, so, and I felt like it was the appropriate place to, to screen an independent film, because uh, it wasn't a big fancy thing, mm-hmm. expectations would be lower, because uh, we didn't have all the money for all the... Uh, uh, huge uh, uh, fight scenes, and but we did have fight scenes and car chases, but we didn't have you know the money to do it with Tom Cruise, uh, <laughs> who I'm pretty sure ripped off our, our movie, um, or his Rogue Nation or whatever it was called, or Fallout. Fallout was because yeah. we have a similar plot, which I thought was funny when I saw his film. Um, but yeah, it went really well. You know, we screened it like I said a couple times, and both times, it's interesting. People, okay, so you would have appreciated this because you you almost came to the to, to the Valley one. I know I mm-hmm. invited you, um, and. Uh, so the cast and crew screening went like this. The cast was all nervous. They hadn't seen any of the film, really. They'd seen a little bit of it a year, two years before. It took us three years to finish the film from production start to finish. Um, and you could see, like, everybody's a little nervous when they start watching the film. And the film kind of starts slowly. Uh, and, you know, and like, okay, I don't know. And then they start loosening up, and they start enjoying it, and then you start hearing more laughs, and it's mm-hmm. a comedy, and you're meant to laugh. Uh, and, uh, and they start relaxing into it, and you're like, okay, good, good. And uh, this time at the Valley Film Festival, uh, people reacted great to it, and I think they really loved the film and thought it was fun, which is the, the one uh, word that keeps coming back to us whenever people uh, watch the movie. Uh, but <laughs> the short that played right before ours was this amazing horror short. Uh, my, my, our film is fairly light in, in most ways. Like, we have some blood, we have some mm-hmm. death, but it's handled in a way that isn't isn't too devastating for you. It isn't so realistic or anything that we didn't go for neorealism with Boris and the Bomb. Um, but this other film was about a guy who's having a psychological breakdown. It's, the name of the film was Psychosis. It was a short film, uh, and it played right before our film. And it ends, and I don't want to give anything away for you, but watching Psychosis, but I don't think the director will mind uh, uh, too much. But it ends with uh, with a guy, you know, gouging his eye out. Oh. <laughs> and they show it. And oh, I would appreciate that. You would love it. You would love it. It was, and it was really good. It was—I forget the director's name—but it was really, really, really good. But I was like, "Wow, this is a weird launch into our little caper comedy," you know, about a guy with a bomb and some, you know, some Russians and the group and and all that. My, and my daughter was in the theater, and she's in the film. She plays Zoe. That's her name in the film, and her name in real life. Um, and so she's at the screening. And she didn't want to leave. I knew the film was had a dark... I knew the, mm-hmm. the short had a dark ending, but I didn't know what. He didn't tell me. I just knew it involved a lot of blood because we were talking about buckets of blood. We both had been, had buckets of blood on our film sets. And, uh, <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to leave. I'm like, all right. So when that part comes, you know, like, we start watching it and we realize what's about to happen. The entire row of people in the theater like converged on Zooey and were covering up and trying to distract her and hide her eyes. Uh, it was fun. But that was a traumatic way to start that movie, I thought. Because yeah. you go from gouging eye out to... And in a film festival, there's no break. There's, that right. movie ends and your starts. And, right. you know, we have a little bit of a leader, but not much of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was interesting. So it took, I think, people a few... A minute or two to get past... Like, did I just see an eye get gouged out? <laughs> yeah. What's he saying about a bomb? He has a story about a bomb. Okay. All right, I'll watch this. Okay, are there any eyes being gouged out in this movie? <laughs> Um, yeah, that uh, is a strange pairing. It was. It was interesting. It, it, it fit a little bit, but uh, and uh, and uh, it, it just it was an interesting, <laughs> interesting lift mm-hmm. into an action comedy, uh, and not one that I was necessarily expecting. Uh, so that that was weird. So that it, I think it took the audience a little bit of time, to be honest, to get past that. Right. Um, <clears throat> but once the shovel hit the guy in the face, I think they were with us for the rest of the film. So, uh, which uh, uh, made me very happy. That always. That always gets a nice laugh when, uh, when Boris at the beginning of the film hits this guy in the face with a shovel. Yeah, that's always a good. That's always a good thing, right? When you have you know, oh yeah, just get hit in the For face sure. with shovels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I just watched the movie and and uh, I thought it was really awesome. It's funny. It's action packed. 
Yes. <laughs> I think there could be more action, but, you know, we only had so many days of, of shooting. We had 55 production days. And car chases. Yes, there is a car chase that's all editing. but And shootouts. There are shootouts. <laughs> there are shootouts. We limited the shootouts for, like, two reasons. One, it's just uh, gunplay. I'm always like, I don't want to overly glorify it these right. days. Um, also, we have a limited budget, and I don't want to, you know, have to deal with it too much. Mm-hmm. Um but we did what we had that I thought was really fun, and one of the reasons that I think we all enjoy making the movie, uh, excuse me, is, um, and it's one of my favorite lines in the film, that's near the end of the film, uh, where uh, somebody realizes that, you know, the bomb is dented, and it's dented because it's been used as a weapon mm-hmm. the entire film, and people hit each other with the bomb. Right. And it's a nuclear bomb. That's The plot of the film, we didn't say, is uh, what happens when a washed-up KGB agent gets in the backseat of an Uber, with a nuclear bomb, he has 48 hours to disarm. Uh, and, uh, and it's in a sack. It's in the sack that he carries around with him. Uh, and he would take, so often takes the sack and wallops somebody with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that happens several times. And then someone at the end of the film, is, or near the end of the film, says, you know, Curtis Bedford, uh, uh, who's a fun actor, you know, says, uh, you know, did somebody uh, use this bomb as a weapon? Uh, and you're like, well, that's funny. Um, <laughs> because it was, uh, it was that, that was a lot of fun. So we tried to make sure that and what I always tell my my stunt teams when I work is is when we do these projects is we've done a few of them like this. It's the first feature, but we did a web series called Ann Boris that the whole thing was based on. So we had a lot of fights in that. And my rule was always, a every episode of the web series and every in the movie every few minutes you need a fight scene, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and the fights have to be funny. There has to be some some rise and fall in the fight to keep you interested. It can't just be. You know, brutal, brutal, brutal. It, it, especially with Boris and the bomb, we're not going for that tone. Um, you know, it needs to be fun and different and light and silly, uh, to some extent. Um, you know, and I because then you can have moments where you can then turn on the audience and make it a little darker, get a little serious. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple points in the film where we do that. Yeah. Um, that I that I think was uh, worked out really well. And I don't think that would work if we had played it um, full John Wick the whole time. Although I think John Wick also has, right. has some fun with it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm glad you liked the movie. Well, it definitely has, you know, I mean, not only, you know, because there is plenty of action in the movie and comedy, it also has sort of an art house feel to it. Yes. Yeah, we, we tried to do that, you know, when, when we were writing. We wrote the film really fast. And, you know, it was a film that kind of came together um, on accident. It was, it was a very weird thing because we had been thinking about doing more of the web series. Uh, so there was a, somebody interested in possibly picking up some episodes. And like, well, let's shoot a couple more to round out the order. And then that didn't happen, and we only had to make a movie. Um, and so we wrote it really fast, but one of the things we, at least I was really focused on when uh, when I was doing my part of the writing, and I wrote it with Jennifer Emily McLean, who's my writing partner and producing partner and wife, um, and uh, was that I wanted it to play to a martial arts crowd and people who like action and like T.J. Storm, who's in the film, uh, who's also Godzilla, by the way, and Dancing Baby Groot. Yeah, that's T.J. Storm. He does a lot of motion capture, uh, but he's a, like second, twice inductee into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame, like multiple black belts. Uh, it's uh, he was my sensei for a little while, is how I know him, um, and uh, is um, I lost my train of thought. Oh no, no, is we wanted to we like we wanted to appeal to the art hound, to the to the martial artist fans out there, but we knew we wanted to try to get this thing into festivals. And I wanted to make sure that there was a bit of a balance of like, we can't do on our budget, which was just ten thousand uh, dollars, to to get the thing made. Um, you know, we couldn't on our budget do wire work and huge stunts, and we couldn't blow things up. Um, but we could do some really. We knew we could do some good stunts and some good fights. Um, but we also knew that we wanted to appeal to an art house crowd. So the film, and uh, did you ever see the movie Heavy Metal? Yeah. Okay, so the bomb is 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 that green thing, oh, the heavy okay. metal. Yeah, That's how I approached like it. Okay, um, is that and every time the bomb gets passed around to somebody, it just fucks up their life. Mm-hmm. The whole point is this thing destroys people's lives without ever going off, um, because Boris has sort of uh, put off dealing with it out of fear uh, for thirty years. It's an old, it's breaking, it's not working right. It could go off at any second. Um, you never know. And we wanted to uh, to have that be sort of a metaphor for people. Uh, and be an exploration a little bit into uh, an idea of what a nuclear family is and, uh, and, and our own mistakes in our past that are maybe sitting out there 
waiting to go off that we're not dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you're looking for closure in your life and, and trying to move past certain things that are holding you back. And so there's a there's a metaphoric nature to the to the bomb, not just an action film. And we wanted to make sure there was a balance to that. And that's so the film has sort of two halves to it. The first half at night. Uh, it's sort of romanticized and then the idea was that well then the second half we're going to try to strip away some of that romanticism and you know have more daylight stuff and uh, and and have the music change a little bit and uh, and be a little uh, sort of reflective for a little bit before we get into a really crazy campy fight sequence at the end mm-hmm. of the movie um, you know so we did that intentionally so it could play to both like a martial arts crowd and an action crowd uh, and uh, an art house independent film crowd, uh, and embracing our independent film nature, going like we can't fight that we don't have a huge budget, um, but we can maybe make the best of what we have um, and uh, entertain an audience. You know, it's more like stand up, man. You know, it comes into play for me is as a filmmaker is, you know, one of the greatest things about stand up is once you realize that it's really just about entertaining them and giving the audience a good time. It's not about you as much. It's a little bit about you, but it's about them. And once you realize that there's that relationship exists, if you extend that to filmmaking, it sort of frees you up. It makes you not have to feel like you have to, oh, I have to bear my soul in every frame and make people cry and feel bad. And go like, eh, A, that doesn't interest me. And B, I think it's not as fun for the audience. Because like, mm-hmm. what do you want to watch on a, on a Saturday afternoon? Do you want to watch... Um, you know, Death Race 2000 or The Thing, or do you want to watch, you know, Schindler's List and, you know, uh, um, I don't know, uh, some drama about somebody dying of a disease and falling in love, you know, which seems right. to be most uh, most independent films. So we wanted to do something different, but at the same time, uh, within those sort of two worlds of action and then the art house and see if we can merge them uh, in some way that made sense. Yeah, I, I yeah. think you succeeded. And, uh, we were lucky to get a lot of a lot of fun uh, folks to play with us. Um, you know, we have a lot of like you mentioned the fights. Um, we had a great stunt coordinator uh, and choreographer, uh, uh, Mark Elephant, did our choreography for us. And J. Anthony McCarthy, the man who plays Boris, also did a lot of the fight choreography. Uh, he's a, a martial artist and trained in kempo and oh, that's cool. uh, trained in stage combat and wrestling and all of that. And uh, we've known each other for almost twenty years now, um, and we've been working on this character at some level since then in different incarnations um and uh, and then um uh, dante fernandez who plays dante in the movie uh was our stunt coordinator and him and mark elephane and tony uh, worked together to put all those stunts you know uh, in the film and there's a lot and people i mean they, they showed up to play we have ferranti here in the film who you might recognize from iron man he was the villain in iron man mm-hmm. he was captain rabot in star trek 2009 i always joke in my act uh that you know it, that Ferran was the Star Trek captain uh, who sacrificed his life so that George Kirk could sacrifice his life so that Jim Kirk could have daddy issues. Uh, so without Ferran, there is no Marvel Cinematic Universe and there is no Star Trek reboot is how we look at it. Uh, but he came and gave us three days and showed up to play, did his own stunts. You know, there were days where, man, we had, um, you know, we had actors who were very busy. You know, Molly Hagen's in the film. She only had like one day to give us. Uh, Pete Gardner's in the film and he only had one day. Uh, that he could give us because he was busy with Crazy Ex-Girlfriends last season. Um, and there were days where, like, and Ferran had a couple of these days where he gave us three full days. And my other cast couldn't when mm-hmm. he was working with us. So I had one afternoon, it was the Friday, it was the second work day uh, with us, where he shows up and he has a couple scenes in Cars that are sort of in the second half of the film that have a lot of a lot of monologues for him. One of them very, I think, silly and fun, where he's like, it's my bomb, not Boris's bomb. It gets very big and 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 and, and uh, uh, angry for no reason because he's insecure, um, and but we only had one of the other actors in that scene for about an hour and a half, so we had to shoot and it wasn't just that scene we had to shoot like two three car scenes within an hour with multiple actors and Ferran uh, and the sun setting because it only could happen in the afternoon, mm-hmm. you know we had another day uh, where a couple of times where an actor could only give us an hour or two. And he would have to show up, learn fight choreography, blocking, get off book, and shoot within an hour or two hours. And uh, so that was that was crazy. But you know that's what you get when you you know you're working on low budget, and you know there's amazing people who are you know giving their time, you know like Ferran or like T.J. Storm or Molly Hagen or you know you go like it's fine, you know. And Molly was great. She's I've known her for a number of years. We did a movie. My wife and I um, acted in a film, a mockumentary of the porn industry 
called Love Shack. Uh, and uh, it was directed by Mike Silver and Greg Sacken. Uh, and it had Molly was in it, Pete was in it, uh, and then it had Mark Fierstein was in it, uh, and who else was it? Uh, um, a whole bunch of fun improv, improv actors, people from Cheers and things like that. Uh, it was an improv movie, and Molly and Pete played a husband and wife in that film who were in their uh, sort of in their uh, midlife and were in the middle of a divorce, but they used to be like this really uh, uh, popular porn couple, uh, but then they got married and that, but then they decided to come back together to make a porn for uh, <laughs> for this porn director who had just passed. And, like, we're going to do one more for him. And it was, like, people in their 50s and 60s coming back. Uh, and the idea was that they were doing one last porno for old time's sake. Uh, and, uh, and and Molly and Pete were two of these people who were in the middle of a divorce while they're... And I, I played the DP. So, I you know, we would be doing scenes where they were arguing in the middle of a, a fake porn shoot while I was sitting there trying to set up the shot. And it was just a hilarious and... Uh, they were amazing. So we met, um, got to know them really on that film. Uh, and so when we did this, I was like, hey, you guys want to do it? And they were both, they were both game. So that cool. was neat. That's awesome. Yeah. As I mentioned to you earlier, too, I remember Molly Hagan from uh, Code of Silence, Chuck Norris movie, which was shot in Chicago. It was actually also like the first movie that Dennis Farina really had a oh, really? sizable role in. Was it and, the 90s? Was it? Uh... Uh, it was either late 80s or early 90s. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, she's in everything. Like she, she, she's in everything. Like you look at her IMDb, and, and she's, uh, she's, she's been working uh, nonstop for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's also the mom and I zombie lately, mm. uh, and uh, was in Big Little Lies, and uh, uh, Election. Uh, I knew her from, or, or I knew of her before I met her, uh, from Herman's Head, which was a sitcom in the late '80s where she played. Did you ever see this, Herman's Head? Sounds familiar. Yeah, it was on, I don't know if it was on for like, I think just two seasons. I think it was two seasons. Um, I was a kid when it, when it came out and I, I dug it. Uh, and she played the, the, it was a guy who had a good conscience and a bad conscience. And with well, a bad conscience, like a devil, and the good conscience, like a little mm-hmm. angel. And she played the angel. Uh, and they would argue and, and make him do good things or bad things. And uh, it was a very silly show. Uh, but that was uh, that's what I, I recognized her from when I first met her. I was like, oh, yeah, she's from Bourbon's Head. Now, she's great. She's a kick-ass actor, one of the best actors I've ever had a chance to work with. And her part in this is very silly and fun, um, you know. And she's a, a, a light-hearted character for us. But she she has a huge range. Yeah. And and she's intense. Like the first day on Love Shack that I I, I met her officially, I guess. Um, I wasn't acting that day. I was just doing. I was just helping out with the production, and I guess I was standing in her eye line, and she got mad and was like, "You got to move out of my eye line." Who was who was this guy? Get him out! Of, she's a little bit in character. Her character was kind of not a very nice person, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, Molly hates me now." Oh no, no. Mm-hmm. she was fine. She was great. She's an amazing trooper. Uh, we shot part of that love shack at a, a an actual porn studio. Um, we didn't, there's no actual porn in the movie. It's a comedy. It's very right. silly, um, <clears throat> but uh, and uh, it's a, it was a dirty place. And there was this one day where she didn't have a scene. She's just on set. Um, and Kyle, co-writer Crew, who's also in the film, uh, in Love Shack, uh, is a friend of ours, uh, was doing a scene, and she was just there to be supportive. It was sitting in the hallway of this place, this filthy place. I never would have sat on the floor. Because, like, you go, like, uh, you know, bad things happen here. Right, yeah. And the carpet looked about 50 years old and, and, and looked like it had soaked in all of the horrible things that could happen at a, at a place that shoots porn. Uh, and she's sitting on the ground, you know, and with her knees to her chest, listening intently to Kyle, who's doing some, you know, some silliness in, in there. We're not doing drama. We're doing comedy. I and mean, she's taking it so seriously. And I remember it was that day and, and just it, looking up to her so much because I'm like, wow, she's sitting in a very dirty hallway just to be supportive of this other guy who she's friends with in this scene, uh, who's doing his scene. And I thought that was that was lovely. That um, She was a blast to work with in the film. Awesome. Uh, and so you uh, you crowdfunded this movie, yeah. Right? And uh, so your entire budget was ten thousand dollars. Yeah, our our production budget was ten thousand. Our overall uh, cost out of pocket was probably sixteen okay. when it was all finished and done, um, somewhere around there. But we raised ten thousand dollars in twenty two days on Kickstarter, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, and it, and it ended up that most of that money, like half of it, over half, went to insurance, and then the other half went to food. And then a tiny little bit was left over for props and 
costumes and, uh, and and other things that we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, my DP had cameras, so that helped. Um, so he kind of came with his own camera kits. Well, I'll tell you what, what you did with that that money. I mean, that that movie looks like twenty times that. Well, thank you. That's <laughs> that, that makes me that makes all the pain in my back <laughs> and all the hair loss and uh, <laughs> and the gray hair in my beard that makes me feel. All of us are, are happy to hear that. That's 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 nice to hear. No, that looks really, really good, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Well, thank you. It was it was a lot of fun to make. It's funny, I, I you know, and I talk to people about the movie. You know, it, you would think the production side of it was the hard part, and in a lot of ways, it was a scheduling you know circus. But it was like once we got to work, it was so much fun. You know, to everybody loved each other, and uh, they were all great actors and committed to it, and just were focused and uh and they all are professionals they know what they're doing you know uh, all of our actors could fight you know uh, there's only a, we had a little bit of fight training before we started production um but you know for the most part they knew how like ferran showed up he had no fight training with us he just came with whatever he already knew which is mm-hmm. amazing amount of training um and you know he had no problem jumping in and taking the punches and doing the there's a moment where i don't want to give away the ending of the film but um there is a moment where ferran and, and boris get into it and they do this one little st- stunt where they, you know, throw themselves through the air, and you know he was game for that. There was, a, you know, he had no problem. We had a pad and everything, but to be safe, but he had no problem. Like this is a guy. By the way, funny story. So, and this is an interesting. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's a lesson or not, but it's not really a lesson so much. It's just a really interesting uh, thing that happened to us. But we were, we raised. So we started the Kickstarter in June of 2016, uh, and. I think it was June, June or July. Um, and we had written the script, uh, and we had a whole different villain in the film. Totally different script. And uh, we weren't really happy with it, uh, but we, we were going to go, okay, let's go ahead and let's go forward with this. And we were, uh, in the web series, we had an actor named Todd Stashwick, who plays a character named Vladimir in the series. Uh, Todd's a good friend of Jonathan McCarthy, who plays Boris's, and, uh, and a friend of mine that we've gotten to know over the years. Um, and he was in the web series and did a, a third season with us, uh, and it was fantastic. So we thought, oh, let's have him be the villain in the movie. And then we started, we had Covey Ladner, who's in the film, and she's one of the second leads, plays a character named Maya. Uh, she was on Heroes years ago, um, and the movie kind of happened because of her for a lot of reasons. Uh, she was instrumental. She got us Ferran, um, and uh, uh, she was a big part of the reason we even made a movie. And when we had a chance to... Uh, we had so, so Todd had to take some time to get back to us, and we had started the Kickstarter, um, and we were sending him videos going, "Todd, sign with us, come on, join us," you know, but he was in the middle of shooting um, and, and getting a schedule for Twelve Monkeys, because uh, he played Deacon on uh, Twelve Monkeys for its run, uh, and they were shooting the last two seasons, I think, back to back, and he wasn't sure, and he was writing a Star Wars video game at the time too, um, and so he was really busy and not sure if he could commit. So he was taking time, and then that gave us time to think. And Jen and I, my wife, were talking. We're like, you know, it makes more sense to have the whole story wrapped up about family, and to have it be uh, Maya's dad. That we we don't always we had another idea with him um, to bring that character in and to make it very inclusive, and and riff on the idea of a nuclear family and um, and uh, uh, and what that really means, and start exploring all of that. So we rewrote the entire script within a like a week, maybe two, um, barely that, and uh, it had to send Todd to like, I'm so sorry, man, we've decided to go with a different direction. Uh, it's, it's not you, it's us. Uh, and I felt bad because we had gone out of our way to try to get him to say yes. Uh, but the funny thing is, we, so we, I asked Covey, I'm like, who do you have that could play your dad? And she, she had a list, and, and one of them was Ferranti here, and I was like, well, I think Ferran would be great. Can we get him? And she was like, let me see. And, um, and he said yes. Uh, he was coming from shooting that last season, that f- fourth season they did of Prison Break, uh, and uh, was about to go right after us to go work on Twelve Monkeys, okay. where he then had scenes with Todd Stashwick, um, and they were on the show together for like another two seasons or something. Uh, so it was just this weird little world of of, of I, I, I gotta thank Terry I guess who makes Twelve Monkeys. Um, you know where that that project somehow I don't know became something that was that was uh, in the mix uh, for for with ours too. It was just with Todd and him. Thought it was funny of all the projects for Ferran to go off to after this. It's the one 
that was causing a delay for us to figure out whether or not we would go with Todd or Ferran, or we ended up going with Ferran. Uh, so Todd, if you're listening, if, if you're listening, uh, uh, sorry about that. That was <laughs> that was uh, that was not cool on our part, but we love you, and uh, we'll probably cast you in the next one, and uh, that'll be fun. So if uh, any of the listeners want to learn more about Boris and the Bomb, where where can they uh, get that info? Yeah, you could go to. Yeah, the film's not out yet. We're talking to distributors uh, right now and meeting with people, uh, which has been fun. Uh, um, but they can go to borisandthebomb.com. There's a ton of material on borisandthebomb.com. There's the trailer. There's a couple trailers for the film. There's a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, a lot of information about our cast. And you can also, on borisandthebomb.com, we just set this up this week, uh, see the original web series that the film's based on, uh, and Boris. There's an and Boris tab at the top. And if you click that, it's a very simple page, but it has um, uh, all the episodes that we've done of and Boris to date. And... Uh, we're about to release the final episode of Ambors, the web series, uh, probably early next week. I've been putting it off for a while, um, but it's ready. Uh, and so I have a couple of tweaks I have to do to it. Uh, so I'll be putting that online in the next few days. So uh, as, well, as people wait for Boris and the Bomb to come out and be available, they can watch the old web series and see the finale of the web series, which sets up a couple of the things that are in the, in the, in the film. But we tried to make the film so it was totally independent. Like, he didn't feel like he missed out on anything by not seeing the web series, right? When you watched uh, the movie? Did you feel like you were like, no. oh, I'm missing information? No. No. Not at all. Uh, but there's a <laughs> lot of stuff in the movie that, for people who have watched the web series, go, oh, that's that's what that's from. That's what that's oh, so referencing. You got, so you've got like little Easter eggs oh, yeah. in there. Oh, uh, yeah, a ton of little ones. Oh, uh, that's cool. Um, and uh, so, yeah, yeah, we try to make sure that... It was funny is, you know, I we've, I, I decided to focus entirely on getting Boars and the Bomb done, Uh and I had these couple episodes that we hadn't finished. I had to redo the show for a couple times for some music stuff, uh, and never got the last episode up. And uh, and I was working on it in the last probably couple of months, uh, and going from the watching Boris and the Bomb to that because it's a few years difference it was a trip, but also was I was like, oh, you know, it's a lot. Of, it's kind of fun to see Boris and the Bomb, then go back and watch the the web series, uh, and go like, oh, that's where that kid comes from. That moment. Oh, that's that that. And, and seeing those connections in reverse, is, I think, is actually might be very fun for people. Um, so there's no reason you have to watch the web series to see it. But if you want to, it's on the website, so you can. Awesome. And then we're on Instagram and, and Twitter, and you can follow us, and we post constantly. Cool. Well, one of the reasons why you're here today... Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> is, ...is for our feature presentation, which also was an independent movie... <laughs> And probably yeah. had more money than, than you had. Probably, and probably a bigger crew. Uh, yeah. But, man, man, you know, I have a thing. I don't believe there's anything that has such as a bad movie. I, I used to do QC uh, for DVD, and I would have to watch um, yeah, uh, a ton of movies, you know, for my job. And, you know, sometimes there are movies that you're like, I would not, I would not intentionally watch this film. But then after a while, you go like, you know, there's no such thing as a bad movie. If you're enjoying it, and there's an audience for it, then, then you know, bless you, wonderful. But this movie, this was a special film he made me watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, should we tell them the name of the, the movie? Yeah, we should. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, Rotor, which is uh, an acronym. Do you have what the acronym stands for? Yes. It's Robot Officer Tactical Operation Research <laughs> Unit. So actually it should be Rotor U. <laughs> That's right. He was a scientist cop. Oh my god, this film. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's a ripoff of Robocop and, 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 Terminator. and Terminator. But I think Terminator 2 owes it a little nod to Rotor. Because I couldn't help but notice that they're... Cause so, okay, so the movie has, has a robot that's a, a cop right. who goes bad. Yes. Uh, it has to be stopped. And he ha- he's a police officer at one point. Um, he is a police officer, right? He's, he's, right, he's, pro- he's programmed to be yeah, a police he's, officer. Yeah, he's programmed to be a police officer. So he's got the outfit on. Uh, and he has the exoskeleton. And it's just, I don't know, I was like, you know, they did that in T2. And I was like, you know what, Cameron might have ripped off Rotor just a little bit. That could be. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't remember that being too much of a part of the first Terminator. The first Terminator was just a bad robot. And, right. And there was no morphing or any of that. And then, so I thought, ah, oh, maybe that's where... And Terminator 2 was 90s, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the early 90s. I think you could be right. <laughs> I'm sure Cameron saw Rotor. I mean, how would you not? <laughs> oh, that's if you're true. James Cameron, they made a movie spoofing mine. and I don't know if he was spoofing. Was he trying to spoof? I don't know if he was trying to spoof. The Rotor filmmaker. Do you know his name? Is it, Was the actor the director, too? 
Uh, no, he wasn't. But I do believe... Wow, he the, got a director for that. That's the awesome. The lead actor, who you mentioned was a scientist <laughs> yes. <a> cop. <laughs> yes. Uh, his name was Richard... Uh, Richard Gesswein. Or Gess, wow. It's, it's G-E-S-S-W-E-I-N. Gesswein, maybe? Just, yeah. Just, just, Irish or something. Gesswein. As, uh, oh, by the way, his name... Captain Cold Iron. Right. <laughs> right. But but spelled with a Y, C O L D Y. You gotta take it seriously. That's that's a family name. That's a, that's a, that's an old family name. So he he was like a producer and actor in the movie and, and from what I understand the movie is a vanity project. Okay. So it might have been his his idea or his his vehicle to use to break into the film industry. Well, man, did he did he he bro- broke in and then he kept going and he broke right back out. I guess right. Uh, it, it's it, it, okay. I don't believe there's such thing as a bad movie, and I can't say this is a this is a challenging film to watch. It um, is, because uh, yeah, it is very dated. But it's it, there's a um, it's it, it okay. There's one part that really got me that I loved, and I thought, well, God, this could be really great if they went this if they just committed to this one direction. And it's with there's another robot. There's a robot that looks like an 1880s, you know, ro- uh, you know, uh, Johnny Five type robot oh, yeah, that yeah, has yeah. a little uh, yeah, a cop a little, hat. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's wearing a porno outfit because <laughs> uh, it looks like the cop hat that you. It's a little too shiny. You're like, that's you got that at a at a, at a sex shop. You know, that's that's for. But he's wearing it, and, and he's funny. He's funny. He said uh, he said something over here. He said uh, there was a, a scene where they were, a guy was eating French fries in front of him. And the robot said, um, and it cracked me up. He had a verbal pause. He went, um, can you, and I was like, oh my God, is it, can I have your fries? And he's like, I'm like, oh, he's trying to be funny with him. And that was like the only scene in the whole film that was like that though. There's maybe, yeah. maybe one other where he shows up and he has some, some zingers. Um, but, uh, but I was like, oh, it's so eighties too. The guy, the cop, what's his name? Cole Ryder. What is it? Cold, cold iron. Cold iron. Yes. Had sunglasses on the entire time. Yes. Uh, in that eighties uh, helmet hair. Yes, and uh, even at night he was wearing those sunglasses. Oh, because you never know when the robots are going to come out and attack you, uh, <laughs> and, uh, 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 and 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 shine bright lights. There's never a bright light even in the movie. Uh, I love the breakdancing robot. I know it wasn't really breakdancing, but like the when they, he showed the example. Oh, oh yeah, to the, to the team of incredulous people, uh, <laughs> and it's just this black shot, this black background and the robot clearly it's stop motion animation right i believe he's doing karate yes he's doing karate yes no he knows all forms of karate and self-defense <laughs> and he's going through and doing doing blocks and things and i swear like if you took that that that, that footage and set it to like um uh, a break dancing music of the era it would be phenomenal it would be that would be that would be the music video <laughs> for rotor would be the breakdancing robot. I think that's where they went wrong. Yes. Is that thing supposed to be inside? Yeah, that's the, the, that's that's the, the exoskeleton. exoskeleton. Yes. And, then, and, 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 it, the, and it looks weird because there's like discs and stuff right? like in the chest where it's like, where would it, that be? What, what is that for? Unless and, that exoskeleton was actually a lot smaller than... And it looks like weird. it's, you know, like the head looks like it's at a Halloween store. Like it's just got light up eyes or something. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. slightly translucent. You're like, oh, you're trying to be fancy with your, uh, uh, with your robotic uh, uh, skeleton. Uh, skeleton. Uh, I love that the cop though. You mentioned this when you were emailing me about it. That he's like, well, wait till you see his stash. Oh and yeah, yeah. And he's got a full on porn stash. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this, this, and I was, I was really disappointed that it wasn't a porno. Yeah. Like at any moment, I'm like, this is going to turn into a porno, right? I mean, the the audio's the horrible, right? The, yeah. The acting's very wooden. <laughs> You're like, the payoff we're, here is we're going to see some some. We're going to it see was something. definitely '80s quality porn yeah. acting. I feel like there was probably an early cut where it was porn, and they were like, no, no, let's let's be legit. Let's, <laughs> we got we got to take this seriously. We can't just cut out all the all the all the sex. <laughs> it was just like this porn stash. I was like, oh my god, what is this guy? You know, what, you know what pissed me off about it is uh, gas in that film was only 69 cents. The what? At one point he pulls into a gas station. Oh yeah, 69 cents. cents. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it made me angry. It was a socially conscious film, I thought. Because it reminded me of what we've lost. Yes, because now we're paying like over $4, $4 a gallon. Yeah. yeah, yeah thanks to... Uh, <coughs> what's yeah. his face? Yeah. But just to give everybody a quick synopsis of, of, of yes. the story of, of, of Rotor... Uh, so Rotor is a, a AI police officer that's in development. 
he's not quite ready for release. <laughs> no, and that's clear. <laughs> but, but he is accidentally uh, fast-tracked <laughs> into, into being. And then he goes out into the world and uh, raises... Hell, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> or very slowly. It's like halfway through the film. Yeah. It takes them a while to get to him. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's funny is, um, yeah, because you mentioned that it's a low-budget independent film, and it clearly is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those films where you go like, oh, yeah, this is definitely low-budget. You can, There's no question about that. And what I love is that, that he didn't feel the need to, you know, shoot dialogue scenes. That he just, like, there's a couple scenes where there is no actor. You just hear people talking. Right. As if they're just out of frame. Um <laughs> uh, which I thought was hilarious. I'm like, well, that's that's a way to cut a corner. Who needs actors? You just need a shot of a of, a, of an answering machine. You can have a whole whole important scene with female characters. I don't even remember who she was. Oh, um, which one? I don't remember, but like somewhere in the beginning of the film, there's a a whole scene that's just a shot of a of a of, a, of an answering machine, which they don't have, we don't have anymore. Um, and you don't you don't see him. It's just a slow push in on an answering machine, and then you hear dialogue, and you're supposed to. Th- oh, he's. He's just out of frame, right? Listening on a speakerphone is what it was supposed to be, uh, but they obviously didn't have the actor that day. Uh, and I love how they just were like, you know, it doesn't have to be in sync. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be in sync. That's that's overrated in the sync movies, uh, where, where actors actually have words coming out of their mouth uh, that they actually said on set. Um, how much of you think it was rewritten in post? Like, what do you think the post process was like on that? I don't think anything was rewritten. I think think it was all shot as it was. Shot as it was. I don't know if it was written. It Uh, might have been written as it was shot. uh, I like that it was. It's it's sometimes slightly racist. Like there's times where it just goes like it's just, it's just a little. You're like that's a little racist. Well, for no reason whatsoever. It was shot in Texas. That's true. (laughs) I lived in Texas, and I can tell you it's exactly how it's like. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. 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 You got people going around pretending to be Hispanic who aren't. Uh, and, and a lot of very horny robots going around uh, doing horrible things to people. Yeah, um, pretend, pretending to be cops uh, is is what. I, uh, yeah, Texas. <laughs> Surprised they didn't do a sequel like the Texas Rangers. I guess it was the Texas Rangers, right? It was supposed to be like some Texas Ranger unit. Yeah, like some special unit. Well, for it the wasn't Texas. too clear if it was supposed to be the near future, especially when they have scientists who double as cops. Yeah, I know. And, I was uh, like. Maybe some downsizing at the Texas, uh, in the Texas uh, police department. They they go to Dallas Lake in the beginning of the film, and I was like, I don't remember Dallas Lake. Dallas Lake. Like we didn't. Like I lived in Dallas for a long time. It was like we don't. Oh, we're gonna go off to the lake this weekend. That was never a phrase anyone said. I think there was a lake, but I don't think anybody went there. Like, it, like we, there was a place we went fishing, but it wasn't. I mean, it's North Texas. There's not a lot going on other than cows and flat. Right. Yeah. A lot of flatness. Um, which I think they could have taken more advantage of because they could have had some nice car chases in that big flat plains. Well, speaking of car chases and fight scenes and stuff, everybody in this movie moves really slow. <laughs> <laughs> very, very slow. And even when there's a fight scene, it's just like... Like, the fight scenes in your movie are phenomenal. Oh, thanks. But the fight scenes in Rotor are just like... <laughs> well, they're like, like the guy blocks before the guy's punch you know, even oh, gets yeah. started. You know, he's like, he's just waiting. And then the guy... And there, there's a couple times too where it doesn't even look like they're making contact. At no, all. no, no, that's that's always uh, that's always hard. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was uh, that was not an aspect of Rotor that was successful. Uh, their their fights and chases, and it was yeah slow, but we used slow too. walking to each other. Yeah, and the robot cop. Yeah, he'd stalk people slowly. Of course, you have but to. But once he got close, he'd start moving a little faster. <laughs> I love when the film, I don't want to give away the ending for people, but I love that the film ends kind of, it, almost abruptly, like, we kind of finished the movie. Well, it like, sets it, up a sequel, though. Is that, is that what it was doing? <laughs> yes. I, don't know if I, noticed. I just noticed that suddenly we jump forward in time and he's explaining to somebody what happened. His son. His son. Oh my god, I don't know because, if I understood that. Okay, because in, in it has like sort of like a, a, a twist ending, sort of a parallax <coughs> view ending. Cause right. Because this whole Rodar thing is, you know, it's something that can't get out. Because it's it's a mess, you know. Yeah. They messed up. It'd be horrible. It'd be horrible for the country. So after Dr. Cold Iron, Iron finally stops Rotor. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's having that meeting with the people about, yeah, we can never let this get out. Yeah. He goes, you know, but me, I'm retiring. 
You know, I've got a ranch. That's I got right. A horse. Yeah. I got a woman. Right. <laughs> I'll be okay. And then as he's walking to his car, like the superintendent of the police yeah. shoots him. <laughs> oh Jesus! Kills him. Oh my God! I don't, I don't think I noticed that. I think I, I think I, I, I filtered that out. Last <laughs> night. Uh, that's incredible. And then, I'll cut to his son on some ranch somewhere yeah. else. I guess, and his son is also a scientist. Receives all his papers and his research. Right. Okay. And it gives you the idea that he is going to, to, to carry on, to continue to work, and then avenge his father's. And then they show the okay, the backtracking a little bit because remember, there's a part where Doc Captain, sorry, I'm calling Doctor because he's a scientist. Yes, Captain that, Cold Iron. Yes, <laughs> Captain Cold Iron calls Doctor Steel. Of course, <laughs> there's a character called Doctor Steel who helped. Who helped develop Rotor? Yeah. Although the two right, of them yeah. never met. Yeah, yeah. Because he calls her and says, "Hey, we've never met, but <laughs> but Rotor is out. <laughs> I need you to get on a plane and get out here quick." And then she does, and then she helps him fight Rotor. That's right. Yeah, she was bizarre. And then, well, she was a bodybuilder. Yeah, and she could do some martial arts. Yeah, I was impressed with her. <laughs> I was as a, as a producer. I was like, "Oh, I could do something with her. Yeah. She could fight. That's good." And then she's killed. Yeah, I assume. But then when uh, this epilogue with Cold Iron's right. son, right? And he's there's all of, all of a sudden a shot of Doctor Steel. Yeah, and it says Rotor Two. <laughs> For some reason, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Oh, I have to watch the ending again. Uh, it's too bad they didn't make a sequel then, did they? It never got off the ground. Not that I know yeah, of. Yeah. I mean, <clears> there <throat> could have been a whole franchise. We could be talking about the reboots of Rotor right now. Well, I you believe know. this was direct to video and it never made you it to the theaters. I'm not surprised by that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sad by that because I think the whole world should see Rotor uh, now. But I'm not, I'm not surprised it did not get into the theaters. Uh, and it was directed by Cullen Blaine. Who I believe went on to something else. <laughs> I believe I he uh, worked in animation. That makes sense post, considering post the Rotor. the animated uh, stop motion character. I actually thought the stop motion was pretty good. Uh, you know, there's a lot of that stuff being used back then in the '80s, um, and I thought it was pretty smooth. I was I was impressed with the, how smooth the animation was. He directed a Beauty and the Beast spinoff video. Oh, Disney. he did that one? I've seen that. I, I've not seen it, but I've seen the... The, the Bell's the Magical yeah. World and uh, Garfield and Friends. He directed two episodes of that. Oh, that's pretty That awesome. was right after Rotor. Rotor. <laughs> this guy has a better career than I do. And, uh, and the writer was... Uh, it had a writer. Yes, oh, it did. That's good. And it wasn't... Uh, the actor guy it wasn't Captain Coldwater. That's surprising. He was not. He was not the writer. Uh, the, did I, did I called him Captain Coldwater. Writers were Colin Blaine and Bud Lewis. Let's see what uh, Bud Lewis was up to. Uh, looks like he did some more '80s fare. Uh, what did he do? He wrote, well, Dragon Fight in 1990. I like the poster for Rotor that. that they have there. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of ripping things off, that poster looks a lot like the original Mad Max poster. Oh, does it? Yeah. I am. So, that's the poster for Rotor. Right, right? it just looks nothing like that. <laughs> and now, if you, if you look at the... Uh, Original poster for Mad Max. Oh yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. He, he's he's so like he's so ready. Yep. <laughs> it's that's you know that that is that is a complete ripoff of the Mad Max poster. You're right. Yep. Uh, and I don't know if the Mad Max poster is good though. I don't know if I if I would see that I'd be like oh yeah that's Mad Max uh, I, I would not looks like he's in space. It does. Looks like it, he's it, about to fight uh, uh, Ming in Merciless. Because well, the poster does looks like makes this Mad Max look really cool. Then you see the movie and you're like, oh, 
Yeah, but no. that, that, that was still better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Mad Max. Yeah, no. But Road it, Warriors, it, far superior. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, Beyond Thunderdome. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then, of course, Fury Road is awesome. It's, it's freaking, it's, that's art. Fury Road is uh, amazing, brilliant. <clears throat> Most, then they have, you know what's funny is, I, I saw Mad Max, this is a little tangential, but uh, uh, I saw Mad Max and then I saw, uh, uh, you know, Star Wars, Last Jedi, and then, and then I was making our movie around the same time. And all three films have very slow car chases that take place over. Because Mad Max, I was like, you know, that film is just literally there and back again. That's that's the film. Yeah. Like the the, uh, the Fury Road. You know, they just they go start in one place, they get in vehicles, do some rock concerts along the way, and a lot of uh, uh, huffing, and they get so then they turn around, they come right back and go right back to the that whole movie is one straight line that just goes right back and forth. I thought right. that was uh, thought that you know because the film seems very complex and kind of awe inspiring when you see Fury Road, but when you start dissecting the actual construction, I'm like, it was just. They just did the same thing in reverse, and then, then have some fight scenes, and that's it. It's like it's actually not that complicated. It's just it was well done, uh, unlike Rotor, which was very complicated. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, a lot of amazing elements. So in our film, we have we have two characters that are complete nods to B movies like Rotor, um, and they're the doctors at the end of the movie uh, who work on the bomb, uh, and they're called Doctor Jones and Doctor Baker. Uh, and the two characters are named after not B movies really, but uh, they're named one's named after Doctor Who, Doctor Tom Baker. So mm-hmm. Doctor Baker is named after Doctor Who's Tom Baker, and then Doctor Jones is like Indiana Jones. Right. But they're very much B movie characters, and I felt um, a kinship with Rotor when I was watching it, going, "Oh, these these fake doctors who are spouting gobbledygook that means nothing," and everyone's taking it very seriously. And, and I love the guy who got really angry at, uh, at 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 him on the phone. There's one scene where he's having a phone scene and it's one guy he's just he's committed to it he's angry oh yeah yeah he's angry at him he doesn't think it's going to work he's angry and I was like that's impressive oh he's, he's like he's out there enforcing the law yeah. he's judge jury executioner yeah. COD <laughs> <laughs> cash on delivery <laughs> uh, it was an amazing film and I, I feel uh, uh, my life is better for having watched it uh, well, well, I mean, the, the central focus, too, is that Rotor, once he gets out, he pulls somebody over for a traffic stop. Right. And and it's a, a, a couple, a man and a woman, they're engaged, and he he kills the the boyfriend. Right. And then the rest of the movie, right. he's yeah. pursuing the girlfriend. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of weird subplots he's like in, focused. in Rotor. Uh, though. Yeah, yeah, he's very focused. Well, you have to be a fear killer robot. <laughs> Uh, who's, uh, you know, we don't get into psychology, though, of why. Why he wants to kill. He's just, uh, he's just, he, did, he broke. That's why, you know, you shouldn't have an automated police force. I read the news the other day that they have, you know, they have these automated robots now that are police right. robots. Which is a sentence I never thought I would say, but it's the truth. And they look like, you know, trash cans that, that roll around. They're just, they're sort of weird, obelisk-looking things. And apparently somebody was having a medical emergency, jumped in front of one, like, I need the police, I need the police. And the thing said, just said, get out of the way. You're, you're impeding traffic. Like, it, didn't, it didn't want to save her life. It didn't want to call the cops. It just saw her as in the way. And, and I don't know, I think she died or something. I don't know, probably not. Um, but so far they're not, I don't have a lot of faith uh, in, in the robot uh, police force that, that seems to be coming uh, finally true. Uh, Although yeah, I would, scary. I, I would like to see a. Uh, somebody was posting the other day that uh, they had uh, alloys or something that can learn, or remember, uh, similar to the T two thing or whatever it was. And so uh, this was on Facebook, and somebody was like, "Oh, this is how we get Terminator," and I was like, "I don't know. I kind of want a Terminator. I mean, I kind of want to see one. Like, I go like, you know, it might be the end of the world, but what a way to go! Right? Of like, I mean, all those Terminators are amazing. You know, poor Rotor." <laughs> But yeah, you know, um, we could see if uh, any of the actors did actually get anywhere after Rodor. A couple of them were pretty good. I got to say, he found one or two people who were very uh, uh, solid and did not um, uh, did not disappoint completely. Well, uh, Doctor Steele was played by Jane Smith. Oh, okay. That that name's a little suspicious. Yeah, there. a little a little vague there. It's a and, and she yeah. was in one other movie after Rotor. And that was Flesh Gordon meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders. Oh, so this was a this, could, this almost was a porno. Yeah. Now see, that's the, you should always go with your first instinct when you're making a movie. You should follow that 
and Snake Chain Smith. Yeah, that is suspicious. And, and that's and it's like kind of ironic because Flesh Gordon was like the first dirty movie I've oh really ever saw. Yeah. I love the original Flash Gordon. Uh, I've not seen fle- the Flesh version. Oh, you've never seen Flesh Gordon? Uh, no, I it's, don't a, it's a pretty good parody of Flash Gordon. Uh, Flash Gordon's not too far away from, <laughs> from I love Flash Gordon she also oh wow so the guy who played Greg Hutchins was in Home Alone 2 Lost oh. in New York oh really as a security guard he played a security guard uh, and before that was in the courtship of Eddie's father apparently James Cole uh, and then uh, Margaret Trigg, who plays the girl who's being pursued by Rotor. Oh yes, uh, she had a pretty good career. She uh, after Rotor, she moved to New York and became a stand-up comedian. Oh, nice! But she was always uh, self-conscious about her look. She was a very beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Uh, I guess she got addicted to plastic surgery. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, that could happen. And and she was also uh, concerned about her weight, so she was taking laxatives. Oh, that doesn't sound and, good. And then, unfortunately, oh yeah, uh, she passed here. away when she was thirty-nine years old. Really young, yeah. Yeah. And I guess she, she was she she made it to a sitcom and it called Alien in the Family. Aliens in the Family. Yeah, yeah, we'll see it here. Has a yeah, which had uh, which I guess got canceled after eight episodes. Oh, that's a shame. Well, may she may she rest in peace. She, at least she's, she'll always be remembered for Rotor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, unfortunately, she was pretty good though. She didn't. She didn't. She was. She did not suck in the movie. Um, uh, and I liked that her name was Sony. Yeah, I was like, is that just because it's like Sony, the company? Is that that's because I was wondering about that too. Because yeah. the first time I heard it, I thought they said Sonya. Yeah, and, and, Sony. And, I think they were trying to do a riff of yeah, you know, the, the Sony, the company. Um, <laughs> which I go, hey, when you name your characters, <laughs> yeah, you always go like, where you know, where does someone's you know get the character names? So you're like, well, I guess from products around there. Well, you're making a movie about called Rotor. I guess you would right think Japanese uh, uh, electronic manufacturers. As potential, uh, I love naming all my characters after appliances. <laughs> you know, uh, Whirlpool in our film right. uh, is the love romantic interest, uh, and then Kenmore uh, is the man who's trying to save her. Uh, and we call it the Appliance Wars. It actually would be a fun film. I should do that. I should, I should make an appliance movie. Um, now I love this stupid movie. This is uh, this is like independent film. Is you know I, I was just at you know I, I've been doing. Like this past year, promoting the film, uh, you know, we went to that collectors con, and there's a bunch of horror filmmakers there, and and a lot of people who are making little independent films for nothing, and trying to you know get them out there. And when you see something like Rotary, you go like, I understand that people look down on a certain type of film, but I go, I don't know, this was fun. I didn't feel like my time was wasted, right? You know, and it, it, it's a blast. And if the filmmakers are having a blast making it, um, at the film festival there was this wonderful documentary. Um, uh, called uh, My Friend Joe, uh, I believe is the name of it. Uh, and I'm going to look up the director here as I say it, uh, talk about it. But it's uh, it was a documentary about these uh, kids, uh, not kids, they're in their late teens, early 20s, um, who uh, made a film together, and they made a horror film. And what it was is one of the kids... Uh, had they, they all have special needs. Uh, so a couple of them are autistic. One of them has uh, some some physical disabilities, um, and then one of the kids had sickle cell anemia, and uh, and passed away. And they decided let's make a movie mm-hmm. that he had written. He had written a little a schlock horror film, uh, and they made it. And uh, and it, very much in the spirit of like something like Rotor, in the sense of it's it's very silly. You know, there's sometimes you know they, they didn't have a budget at all. So there's a character who's you know t- telling a dog to come in, but there is no dog. They didn't have a dog in the shoot. They just were off screen right. pretending there's a dog, you know. And you know, and they cut the film together, and they actually show uh, it's a short film that they made, and they actually show the short film at the end of this documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and they actually embraced the the limitations they had beautifully. Uh, and it, but it's it, it's a it's a love letter to these types of films like Rotor, uh, and and it, it's just when you have this genre, I don't know, I think it's, uh, 
I, I think it's 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 well worth your time to uh, enjoy B movies and embrace them and realize that these are the films that you're probably going to watch more when they're on, especially once you get to know them, uh, than any of the acclaimed movies that you know are supposed to make you feel like you've just had a an epiphany in the theater. You know, it's like no, Rotor is what you're going to want to watch at three o'clock on a Saturday, right? You know, as you eat your cereal. And, I think the movie you're talking about is My Friend John. My Friend John, yeah. By Edward Payson. Yes. Yes, Edward Payson. Edward, I I got a chance to meet him um, at the uh, the festival. A really great filmmaker. He's, uh, uh, I don't know what he's he's trying to work on right now. I think he's, but he makes like um, horror films. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you familiar familiar with him? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, one of my friend's boyfriends. (laughs) Oh, right. Yes, yes. His girlfriend is uh, works at Flappers, the club that we perform at. Yes, um, and uh, we figured we figured him and I figured that out afterwards. Um, yeah, because I was like, she was she was at the screening, and he has a Superman suit on. Mm-hmm. Not a Superman suit; it's a suit right, right, right. with a Superman logo yeah, all I've over seen it. it. It's pretty awesome, and I kind of want one. Uh, and uh, and she was sitting next to him, and, and uh, I was like, gosh, she looks familiar. But and I thought, well, I think she's in the movie too. I don't know. And, uh, and then afterwards, I'm on Facebook talking to him, and. Uh, and we realize, oh yeah, flappers. Yeah, yeah, small world. It is. It is a very, very small world. <laughs> now he's great. They're, they're, that film is fantastic. Have you seen the film? No, I haven't. I definitely want to check it out. I'm, I noticed one of his other movies was on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I haven't seen his other films. I think I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out. But it's a, it's it's a it's an awesome genre. It's a genre we're um, you know the next thing that we're trying to work on, uh, that we're writing right now anyway and developing is a horror film, um, a horror thriller. That I really don't want to say too much about, but uh, but it's it's the type of it's a genre where you go like it would be so much fun to make and and to scare people, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all about filmmaking and technique. And even when you make something that's a cheesy sort of you know slasher film, there's so much technique in making it work, you know, uh, as a filmmaker that that it's just a lot of fun to play in. And then you're making a film that. You don't have to have big stars or people that you know that are uh, people are familiar with, because the genre is the star. You know, the the star is the is the blood splurt at the right moment. The star is the person screaming and running away from the very always right. slow walking villains in in, in like Rotor uh, uh, in B movies and especially horror films. Halloween because you have all these Halloween masks here. Michael Myers never walks fast. He's not in a hurry. Nope, but he'll get there before he'll you. get you there before, <laughs> before he does somehow. He is uh, that is an undercaffeinated person. It yeah. is, uh, he's taking his time, taking his time uh, killing people. Uh, so it's a fun genre. Uh, you, know, you should see the uh, documentary. I think you'd enjoy it. You definitely would appreciate the film they made uh, and, and what they did with it. It's uh, it's 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 a lot of fun, uh, and a lot of heart too. Yeah, uh, with those guys, uh, which you wouldn't think about when you think about like a. A slasher horror film uh, that's meant to creep you out or be a silly. Uh, you don't usually think of that as like you know that's the the group of people that are you're rooting for you know out there. But yeah, you do with these guys. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, they would love Rotor. Those guys would love Rotor. Yeah, yeah. They would they would they would absolutely uh, dig dig Rotor in all of its glory. It reminded me a lot of that Tom Selleck. It was a Tom Selleck movie from around the same era with a lot more money. Oh, uh, Runaway. Yeah, Runaway. The Killer Robots. Yeah, Gene, Killer Robots. Gene yeah. Simmons was the uh, yeah. villain. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Gene oh Simmons from Kiss. That's right. <laughs> uh, that movie's fantastic. That's that's a good one on a Saturday afternoon to watch. One, one thing, I, you know, the last thing I want to say about Rotor <laughs> is that, that there was no gore. Yeah, there really wasn't. I mean, there's a guy who gets his face pressed onto a hamburger grill. Yeah. And there's just steam. Yeah. There's nothing, you know. There wasn't a lot of blood or anything. Yeah, there wasn't. There was a lot of Very subdued. It was a very subdued. Oh, and there's one the one scene violence. where the girl's trapped in the diner and she gets out and then these three drunk guys come in. Right, right. And there's this one big buff guy. Right. After after Rodar takes out the, the two guys before him and then he rips off his shirt, he's like, come on. That scene cracked me up, man. <laughs> that thing was, that was... That was a scene where you go like, "Wow, that's some slow fight choreography." And while they're just waiting, yeah, to, to take him on, and each one he rips the shirt off. It's like, why? <laughs> why do you have to take your shirt off to fight the guy? Hold on, I have to change. And, right? Yeah. And <laughs> you see how big my chest is. Oh, what have you done to me? Oh, but R- R- Rotor is. 
I keep saying rotor because that's how I want to say. It. I think it's the appropriate way. Rotor doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. it, doesn't have the rotor. The the, uh, the the weight that you have to have right for a movie like this. You can't just say rotor. You got you got to know rotor. <laughs> got to give it the the respect it's due. That's right. It's an acronym after all. For robotic. Horrible. <laughs> 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 oh. What do you think came first, the, 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 the name or the, which which one? Like, when why rotor? You don't really think rotor for a, for a robot. Right. You no. think of that for, like, I don't know, a, an engine or a, a helicopter or something. Like, I, I thought, exactly when, you, when you, I saw the name, I was like, oh, this is going to be about, like, an attack helicopter or something. Right. You know, or a remote-controlled helicopter that's going to kill people. No, no, it's, uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's a cop. That was, uh, that was impressive. Made me want to watch... Um, uh, uh, Robocop though because that, that pops up when you when you go into YouTube and you type in Rotor the film that's the next recommended is like Robocop 2 I think is right, what yeah. they recommend uh, I was like oh that's nice that's a good pro- cross promotion for Robocop uh, Rotor uh, it's nice that it's on YouTube though Yes, yeah, if you want to check out Rotor, <laughs> it is free on YouTube. It is free, as it, sh- as it should be. Probably, it's, it's not the best quality. No, it's a 360 like resolution or something like yeah. that, uh, which was a shame. But most of the film, you can it's 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 fine, it's a decent... Uh, yeah, the, the smaller the screen, the better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's just a good advice in general when watching Rotor. <laughs> yeah. uh, is uh, it's the tiny, really put it on your iPhone, and then put it on the other side of the room so you feel like you're in a really big theater and you're in the back. Yeah. Um, and that'll be the right feeling uh, to it. And don't worry about the audio, it's not out of sync. That's just how it's shot. Uh, Rotor. But yeah, it's good for a laugh. It's, it is uh, so bad it's good. It's funny. It, and that's what you want out of those films. You want them to be so bad that they're they're good. You know, like I said, I don't believe there's any such thing as a bad movie. It's if it's entertaining somebody, you've done your job. Right. Exactly. You know, I'm like, who cares? You know, enjoy it. There's a um, on Amazon. They have Rotor, uh, but it has some people. I haven't watched it yet, but it's a, a group of people who I guess take these B movies and then talk over them and do a kind of a mystery. Series I, yeah, I think they're like riff tracks. Yeah, riff tracks. Yeah. Is what they're yeah. Called. Um, I thought it was. I was oh, maybe it might be fun to watch that. Because uh, uh, I, I was doing my own riff tracks. <laughs> I was yeah. Watching, I was just like, oh my God, this is so great. Uh, but I think that's all we have to say about Rotor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it might be the second most anyone's ever said about Rotor. So if you guys want to keep track Rotor. of what's going on with Boris and the Bomb, go to borisandthebomb.com. Yes, and, and follow us on Instagram and uh, uh, Twitter. And then I'm DP Cron Miller on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And stalk me, I'm fine with that. It's okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming by, Dave. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And that does it for this episode of Cinema Puradiso. We'll be back soon with more bad movies. Cinema Puradiso is recorded in Burbank, California. Please follow us on Instagram at Cinema Puradiso. 